and welcome again to the Strange Brew podcast. My name's Jason Barnard, and that was the Apiece Podermo Project and Rocket to the Sun from their new album, Energy Overload. I've got the huge pleasure to welcome Carmine Apiece here, legendary drummer. Welcome, Carmine. Hey, man, how you doing? We've got to talk about the new album with uh, Fernando Podermo. Yes. How did you get up to collaborate with him on, on your new album, Energy Overload? Well, I moved to Florida. My brother Vinny actually built the studio for me. He's a computer geek, and he built the same studio in his house. Had it for years. So when I told him I wanted to put a studio in my house here, he said, "Uh, "Okay, uh, let's build the same one I have. This way, if you have any problems, I can help you with that." I said, "Okay." So he built the same thing, and you know, when I got it, I started. You know, then he showed me how to work it, basically, and I started recording some things and testing and checking out drum, you know, my drum yeah. sounds and just messing around with it. And I ended up doing a couple of sessions. Two, uh, actually, both with Cleopatra, but one was with Arthur Brown. Ah, yeah. You know, and we redid his big hit, Fire. It was me, me and Brian, Brian Auger, a keyboard player. Wow. And that was fun. So that was the, one of the first things I did in the studio. And I got a fairly good drum sound because I learned from the great Andy Johns how to get a drum sound. I, I used his mic techniques and placement and all that stuff that I learned between Beck Boger and the piece and Rod Stewart. But mm. I used to work with him a lot. So, you know, so then I was thinking, you know, the more sessions I could do, the better. And then out of the blue, Tom Dowd, the great producer, his daughter called me and said, hey, you know, there's a guy named Fernando Podomo. Tom was going to work with him before he passed away. And he wants to work with you on, on some projects. Would you be interested? And, and usually I say to that, well, I don't usually play on Joe Schmo's album. I usually, you know, I usually play like Ronnie Woods and Paul Stanley and Jan Ackerman. You know, people have names yeah. that are known because I don't, I didn't want to be known for session guy that'll play on anybody's records for money. You know, for me, it's not about money. It's about the art, artist part, artistic part. Yeah. So anyway, so I said, well, I might be interested, you know. And I'm thinking to myself, well, maybe if I do some of these tracks, I'll get to learn my studio better. And he called me. We talked. And I, you know, he plays bass, guitar, and keyboard and drums. I said, well, let's try it out. Let me send you something from my iPad, which ended up being the song called Thunder. And I wrote this thing on, on my iPad, had all the melodies and stuff. I sent it to him and he sent it back and it sounded really good. I said, whoa, this sounds really good. So I put the drums on it. It sounded really fantastic to me. So I said, let me send you something else. I sent him another one, the one called Funky Jackson. And he sent that back to me. It was another good one. And so I put drums on that and it sounded great. So by this time, I was switching my drums from my Slingland kit from the first track to my D drum kit on the second track. Then he said, well, let me send you one. And he sent me Little Havana, which was kind of rock Latin. And me being not like my brother, I can, I like to play challenges, you know? Now, Vinny just wants to play heavy metal and that's it, you know? Mm. You know, Black Sabbath kind of metal and Last in Line and Dio. You know, I play, I mean, come on, I play with Rod Stewart. I played You In My Heart, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so when he sent me that, I said, oh, that's cool. And I said, you know, I'm going to try some. At the end of it, I did a, a press roll. Then I went into this, and started hitting accents and stuff. And I said, listen, I did you a part of song, but I added something to the end that maybe you can play to. And 
see how it goes. So we did. And so that ended up being big Havana. So it started with the drums, which planted a seed in my head. I said, I got some stuff on my computer, which is drum tracks. And a really cool sounding drum tracks. I said, do you want to try and I'll send you one, see how we do with that. So I sent him one of those and that became Rocket to the Sun. I said, well, I got three more. So I sent him three more and that became Flower Child. What's the other one? Um, uh, the Blown Boogie, the Blown Speaker Boogie and the um, Pure Ecstasy. And those are all great sounding drum tracks. And then he started sending me stuff. And, and no matter what he sent me, I, I, I always looked for the progressive rock portion of it. If it was in 4-4, I said, let's, let's make it 6-4. Uh, let me uh, cut it here, you know, and make it 6. And let's go into the whole middle section in 7 instead of 4. You know, stuff like that. And we, didn't, you know, we were just creating music. We weren't looking for radio airplay or nothing. We were just having fun. It ended up, we ended up having 18 songs now. So I said, you know, we got a lot of good songs, you know. Let's, let's pick 12 of them. And I'll pitch it to uh, Cleopatra, my, my, my friends over there, you know, the owner, good friends with them. And let's get it out. And okay, they're not going to make a lot of money, but well, let's get it out because it's, it's really good stuff. And it, it shows my plan and it shows your plan. And it could give you a career a bit more than you got going now. And so far, it's, it's been great. People are loving it. Yeah. And the funny thing I have, you being English, I have a show I do with my brothers called uh, Hanging and Banging. With me and Vinny and, and this guy, Ron and Esty, that owns a, a beautiful venue outside Chicago. And everybody plays there from, you know, Sticks to mm. Oreo Speedwagon to the Sons of Apollo, Last in Line, Cactus, Vanilla Fudge, whatever. So he, he's the other host. So we did one show and we had Susie Quattro on it. Oh, wow. You know? And Susie, I know since 1973, and I know her brother. And, yeah. And I know her from the Rod days, and she used to come hang out with us. And we got on the show. And the next day, she started emailing me because we, we had a good time on the show. And then we got talking, and she said, uh, I would love for you to play on my new album we're going to do shortly. I said, yeah, that would be great. I got the studio. What I love about the studio is before, whenever I had to record, I had to get my roadie, bring the drums to the studio, set it up get sounds, then play. Now, I walk to my garage, I turn on the computer, and I play. You know, I do things are set up. Even if I do something tomorrow, yeah. and then next week, it still has the same sound. So I can punch in, I can do whatever I want. And I'm Joe Engineer now, which is funny. So any, anyway, so I said, yeah, I'd love to do that. So she said, can you send me something that you've done lately so I can just hear what you're doing? So I sent her the song Flower Child. Because I thought it was a pretty cool song, you know. And that, that incidentally is our next video. We're, we finished it. We're talking to the label now about the release date and all that. So she emails me the next day. She goes, I love this song. I'm hearing all kinds of melodies and hooks and lyrics. Do you mind if I write a song to the track? I said, no, feel free. Said so she was doing it. And yesterday she asked me for the stems so she can put it down in the studio. So I said, that's awesome, man. She probably won't call it flower, flower child, so it'll be something else, but, but it's, uh, she wanted to be able to have the lead guitar. And when I send it to her, because it sounds like Jeff Beck playing that, you know, when I sent it to her, she's going, is that who I think it is? I said, nope, it's definitely not who you think it is. I, I think you think it's Jeff Beck, right? She said, yeah, it sounds just like Jeff Beck. I said, no, it's not Jeff Beck. It was because I wanted to get him on my album too. 
I said, well, too bad Tim Bogut passed away because you could have mm. could have got Tim on it too and had all the B all the BBA on there. Thank you.
your um, partnership with Fernando. You meet in the middle in terms of songwriting, collaborating, but in terms of the instruments that you play and everything, you really fit hand in glove as well. So yeah. it sounds like you could do quite a lot more together potentially as well. Well, we're going to, like you said, we, we got six more tracks in the can. That's already half another album. When all the interviews tamed down and uh, I'm going out on the road with Vanilla Fudge and Cactus, you know, I'll be done like uh, by November 18th. Then we'll get back into some writing. I'm also doing a King Cobra record right now and a couple other odds and ends. Uh, I, I did three Christian records, the Christian songs, and uh, Fernando played on two of them. I played bass, guitar, and keyboard. And then I got really great singers from the church I go to here that are tremendous and really coming out great. And I got my buddy Pat Regan mixing. You know, and Pat's an awesome mixer. Yeah, so and I actually did the drums for the new Vanilla Fudge song that we just released a month ago. I did them here. Now I have a combination of my old Ludwig bass drums from 1971. I got a Slingerland snare drum I'm using, and I got D drum tom toms and Sabian cymbals. And I got a bigger hi hat for just a better sound. It's just really getting the sound tuned in here it's really going great a few years ago i read your your fantastic autobiography stick it which is just such a vivid depiction of every side of the music industry including the sex absolutely (laughs) absolutely you know know, the guy that wrote that was an english guy ian giddens he wrote nikki six's book the perfect person to do that Uh, yeah when he wrote it he left a lot of sex stuff in there and i said you sure you want to leave all that sex stuff in there so one thing i know when you when, when a middle-aged woman goes to buy these books, they're going to love that. So now when we do gigs, you know, we sell it at the gigs at the merch table and autograph it, or I do a book signing thing, I tell the woman, it's X-rated. And she goes, they all go, oh, great. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so he was correct in that. But he did a great job. I mean, he did such a great job that I remember I was, uh, when the first episode, the one about Ozzy and Sharon, where the one that opens up with the uh, with the drum solo that didn't that went wrong with the with the whole bit and that uh, Sharon deliberately shut off the machine that operates the the drum riser going to the front and all that and Bob Daisy telling me that she definitely would do that to make me look bad because it was in the newspaper when I read that I was uh, I think I was what was I doing. I was at a rehab thing for something, either a backache, older ache or something. And I was reading it, you know, the manuscript he sent me on the phone. And I knew the story, but it sucked me in because his writing was so good. Yeah, and then, yeah it was awesome. Then I asked my buddy Rod to write the intro. That was interesting. When he said that I fired Carmen, I fuck knows why. I said, yeah, good one, because there was really no reason for it. There was just too much going on in the partying aspect of his career at that point yeah yeah Yeah. but we're still friends you know i just saw him about a month ago here in florida i wish he'd get that rod stewart band back together absolutely i want to take you back to vanilla fudge that you're kind of like pioneers of that symphonic psychedelic rock getting more progressive and progressive yeah yeah the thing about you you keep me hanging on is that you brought the feel to that track well that's what we did we look at the song lyrics and you keep hanging on, I go, set me free, why don't you be? You know, it's happy. If you listen, if you write those lyrics down, they're not happy. Really hurting. We used to say hurting lyrics. You know, whoever's singing them lyrics is hurting. 
and the Supremes definitely weren't hurting singles lyrics. Mm. And there was a fad going around Long Island at the time of slowing things down and doing production numbers, making them longer and just more dramatic. So we, as a band, would look for songs that the lyric should be matched to the music, right? You keep it hanging on, you slow it down, add the emotion, add that feel of emotion and hurtness you know, to it. People get ready. Gospel. Mm. We made it sound very choir, gospel choir kind of thing, just with an organ. Lonely organ and a vocal. I sang that one. And just, you know, it's a lonely organ and a vocal after the intro and then builds up to this big monstrous thing. Elmer Rigby. Mm. Spooky. Cemeteries, churches, spooky. Season of the Witch, spooky. You know, all that stuff. And so we used to do that to all the songs. Take Me For A Little While was the same kind of thing as Hanging On. We slowed it down and did our own arrangement on that. Ticket to Ride, those are all hurting songs, you know? She's Not There, hurting song. We just matched the music to the lyric and made it psychedelic and build it up with crescendos and then stop immediately and then there's nothing, just one note. It's very interesting. Man. When we were doing it, we were like a symphonic orchestra. Do you think um, Vanilla Fudge is pioneering um, music at the time has been slightly underappreciated. Your, your role in that development of the sound? Without should... a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. We're not in the Rock Hall of Fame. Everybody who we were on the charts with, the Queen, yeah. the Who, yeah. the Beatles, of course, Jimi Hendrix, Jefferson Airplane, they were all in the Rock Hall of Fame, and we're not, because we didn't write our own songs, but we wrote all these epic introductions and, and outros and musical pieces with vocals sometimes. It's a, it's really a bit unfair. And then all the bands that listen to us, like ELP, I'm sure they're in there, Sticks. There's so many bands I can't even think of them. Deep Purple. Yeah, so, but hey, you know what? I had a blessed career. I'm still going. I'm still making music. I don't make music now for the money. There's really no money in this end of the music business anymore but it's like pocket change i call it you know but i make it because i love playing i love music and it keeps the legacy going
did this one there's a new project and ella fudge we just released stop and name of love with tim we're the only band from that era that released a new song yeah. with the original band 55 years later and that was the last thing that tim ever played before he passed away that was another first that we did that song sound your new version of stopping the, the name of love has yeah. got that vanilla fudge sound it, it's true it's got it yeah it's true to yeah. that and mark stein's voice Guy's 74 years old now. I mean, come on. Rod Stewart don't sing like he did. You know, I don't. Listen to my voice. I'm all uh, froggy to gremlin here. You know, but Mark Stein's voice, unbelievable. I did a radio show when that first came out about three weeks ago. And we played Hanging On. Yeah. And then they played that. And the DJ said, I can't believe this guy's voice. Is that Mark Stein? And I said, yeah. He goes, he sounds like he's 20 years old. Hmm. I said, I know. He never... He's got all these other elements, but nothing wrong with his voice. His voice is just stellar.
your secluded nights Even seeing him living once or twice Um, that was a, a, a way that you started to craft a sound that was uh, seemed to chime more with the seventies. You know, a, a bit simpler, yeah. a bit harder in places, a bit rockier, and, and 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 jamming. Yeah, and we were a jam band, and you know, we influenced bands like uh, Ronnie James Dio. We influenced uh, Kings X. We influenced uh, White Snake. I, I was told, and the biggest one was Van Halen. 
they love cactus. I mean, Eddie loves cactus. I remember I talking to Eddie at the early 2000s. I said, yeah, we're going to put vanilla fudge together. He says to me, fuck vanilla fudge, get cactus together. <laughs> and then you could hear eruption. If you listen to Let Me Swim by Cactus, and you listen to eruption, eruption is the same intro as Let Me Swim, except it's longer. You know, we hit a chord and Jim McCarty played these licks, and then we went, bam, 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 and then played more licks and went into the song. I never really knew that because when Van Halen came out, I wasn't that into Van Halen. I was playing with Rod. And, you know, they were a new young band and you know, I wasn't crazy about their harmonies and stuff. But as I, as they got more famous, I, I, you know, actually noticed what they were doing. And I never realized that eruption was that same thing. Yeah. And then uh, when I got to really know them and stuff, then Alex told me they were going to release a song called Half a Teacher, which was like Cactus Parchment Farm. You know, he said, that's what we use as the template. You know, it's amazing. Cactus left, really left the mark, but it, it never had that huge album and single, but it left the mark that's still around. And it was supposed to be with Jeff Beck and Rod Stewart originally. Oh, right. But then Rod didn't want to work with Jeff. <laughs> and then Jeff got in a car wreck. He put him back 18 months, and me and Tim broke up Vanilla Fudge to do this. And there's a time when supergroups are happening. You had West Bruce and Lang and Blind Faith and all that. So we had Jim McCarty from uh, Mitch Ryder and Detroit Wheels, and they had a bunch of hits, and they were, he was pretty well known. And he recommended Rusty Day, who was in the Amboy Dukes with Ted Nugent, and Journey to the Center of, of Your Mind, you know? So we said, well, it's not the same kind of supergroup, but it is a supergroup, and we, that's what we did. And, it went well in that first album. We kicked ass. Everybody loved that first album. Even though it, it only broke top 40, it didn't go like the number 10 and number 8. But everybody loved it, man. And it influenced a lot of people. You played the 1970 Isle of Wight Festival, didn't you, with Cactus? We did. We did. I'm actually was told yesterday we're getting the, the video footage for that. Wow. And I have a little snippet of it. And, man, I look at me and I was like a freaking animal on the drums. You know, I look like Animal from the Muppets, actually. You know, I was just so high, my hand raising, and just like freaking crazy, you know. And I was playing that big drum set, that big maple drum set that I, I had in the fudge, and I brought it onto Cactus. So I can't wait to see that. That's going to be awesome. And I think we're going to have the rights to release it physically. And I, I don't know who owns it. Uh, Eagle Rock, maybe? Now they're going to have the digital rights. Mm. But I think we got seven Cactus songs on there. Which I can't wait to see it. It's like a new Cactus album. Yeah, without a doubt. Let me swim in the ocean, honey. 
So a few years after that, you got you you actually then did get to form a band with Jeff. Yes, 1972, and we have in the can now, ready to be released, that Jeff's people are putting together the deal for it. And last I heard, they're very close to the deal. A live at the London Rainbow in 1974. We did two sold-out shows, and they recorded them. And, and I mixed it with Jeff Beck's engineer a couple of years ago, and it sounds great. And I talked to Jeff about it when we finished mixing. He said, you know, not only is the playing great, it was very humorous playing. Because, you know, Jeff can play very humorous with his effects, and so could Tim, and so could I. So Jeff would do something, Tim would answer, and I'd answer the both of them. It came off great. And there's seven brand new songs on there, including two instrumentals. That I say these instrumentals were the bridge between BBA and Blow by Blow. When we used to travel around with, uh, with Blow by Blow, Jeff used to travel with me if we had to drive somewhere. We'd get two rental cars. And me and Jeff were driving one and Tim and the roadie, tour manager and the other. And, and in our car, we'd be playing Ma Vister and Billy Cobbin, you know, instrumental stuff. And so when BBA broke up, I went to England and I ended up playing on Blow by Blow, but we couldn't work out the deal. But I loved the music. I loved what we were doing. And... uh some of the stuff we did, you know, stayed, some of it left. And I worked with George Martin. I mean, come on, that was awesome. And then that album came out and was huge. But I consider these two songs, The Solid Lifter and Jizzwiz, or instrumental songs, the bridge between BBA and, and uh, Blow by Blow. But not, not as many people know that, that BBA actually recorded the, the original version of Superstition. Yep, that's right. And it, I believe if you listen to the lyrics, they're a little different on our version because we got the version that Jeff got from Stevie Wonder as a favor for Jeff playing on Talking talking Book. Yeah. So we just did it. The, the version Jeff had sounded like what Stevie Wonder released. I might be wrong, but there might have been a version, the same kind of version with Cozy Powell on it oh. from the Rough and Ready band that Jeff had. I, I don't remember. I might be wrong on that one. but. But either way, we heard that version, and with the trio, we said, well, we should do our own way. So Jeff started playing the riff, and me and Tim just joined in, and our version came up. And Tim sang it, and I sang the harmonies, and, and it was a badass version. I remember when we did Jeff's solo on mm. it, we tuned this guitar down to C. Well, that means that the strings are very rubbery. Normal tuning is, D, is E, so one, one step down is D, Two steps down is C. So that means that the strings can be very rubbery. So when he did that solo, they sound so it sounds so weird. Mm. That's why the solo on Superstition sounds so weird and crazy. Because the guitar is tuned to C.
sequence of things didn't work out with Jeff with Blow by Blow and no. you didn't get your due recognition on that album at all? I do not. Not a, nothing. But, you know, I didn't want to sue anybody. You know, I, want, I, I like Jeff as a... You know, Jeff was really not a, really... It was always the business people. Jeff has always been a cool guy. And I like Jeff. And I didn't want to sue him. I wanted him as a friend. You know, and then later on, we did People Get Ready. Yes. And then... I sort of didn't get my due on that either. You certainly <laughs> did. Yeah, you certainly as much, if not more, but, on that. Yeah, you know, yeah. But you know, we, we, me and Dwayne were a little disappointed. We weren't asked to do the video with them. You know? Yeah, because uh, we did it at Dwayne's house. I mean, I was in the studio as a producer, a co-producer of this thing, with headphones on like that. I had Jeff there and Rod over there, and I was telling Rod where to sing, Jeff where to play, because. You know, we've just done the arrangement and they were concentrating on what they're doing. At the end, Jeff's manager called me and said he was English, you know, an English guy. He was always like, Oh, hi, darling. How are you? You know, and I, he says, Oh, darling, how are you? Come on. I said, I'm good. He said, Well, how much do you want for those sessions? And the people get ready. I said, yeah, Ernest, I don't really want money. You know, when I did it, I was making a lot of money from Young Turks and do you think I'm sexy and drum books and clinics and. I was a spokesperson for uh, some sonic drums and, mm. you know, four or $500 wasn't going to make a difference in my life, you know? I said, I don't want to, I don't really care about the money. I just want the credit for producing it, whether it's co-producing with four of us or me and Jeff and Dwayne or, you know, however, whatever. I said, okay. So the album comes out and says, people get ready. Thanks to the boys. I said, you know, but yeah. that still was, I know, I, I know it doesn't come from Jeff. I like Jeff. I mean, obviously, we touched on him in brief, but got to ask you about um, your fantastic collaboration with Rod Stewart. Yeah, oh, awesome, awesome. How you got involved with working with him? Because obviously, you had the disappointment things with, with Jeff in in the mid seventies, but then you yeah. you got the offer to work with Rod. So that must well, have... it was it was it was kind of things happen for a reason yeah. kind of thing, you know. I, I think. I guess it was God looking down at me, telling me where to go and what to do. Because uh, uh, I, I was in L.A. I went to L.A. to do a band called KGB with Mike Bloomfield. When I was working with Blow by Blow, I was also working with Ray Gomez and Rick Gretsch. Ray Gomez played with Stanley Clark. I brought Ray Gomez to the U.S. And I got him in the country and my lawyers got him his visas and stuff. And when we worked together for a little while, but then it didn't work out. So he ended up being with Stanley Clark. I brought Rick Gretsch over, who was with Blind Fate, to do this band KGB with Mike Bloomfield, Gary, uh, Barry Goldberg, and, and Ray Kennedy. Ray Kennedy had wrote one of the songs on the BBA record. He was a, a guy from New York and he was a really good singer. So we, we did that group. While I was with that group, uh, I was signed to MCA Records. I was asked to join Rainbow. Oh. In the beginning of Rainbow, and I couldn't do it. Ah. Because I was signed to MCA Records with KGB. Oh. That happened two times in my life, and I missed out on two giant opportunities. So anyway, so we did we did this, and it didn't work out with Mike Bloomfield. So we uh, we did a second album, and then I ran into my buddy Sandy Gennaro to play drums with a bunch of different people. And he said he had just... I said, what are you doing? He said, I just auditioned for Rod. I didn't get it. He said, you should call him. I said, who are you talking to? He said, I'm talking to this guy, Pete Buckland. I said, oh, I know Pete Buckland. He said, we did 30, 40 shows with Cactus and, and the Faces. You know, and me and Pete and, and the Faces and Rod, you know, we used to terrorize and destroy rooms, mm -hmm. women, and 
uh, rent the cars and all that and the trucks. We had a ball. <laughs> we spent mm-hmm. pissed away a lot of money, but we had a good time. So I said, I know him. So he says, yeah, here's Pete's number. So I called Pete. And I said, Pete, hey, it's Carmine. Rod's looking for a drummer. You don't call me? What, what the fuck, man? You know? Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, you're always busy. So look, I'm not busy now. I would love to play with Rod because Rod was one of my favorite singers anyway. With the Jeff Beck group and Faces, I love what he did. So he said, well, let me tell Rod. So he calls Rod. And Pete calls me back and said, look, the band that, you know, Rod's new band is at his house. So Rod said, he's in England. Why don't you go to the house and check out the band? I said, oh, that's a switch. I'm going to go check out the band. That's, I like that sound of that. I said, let me bring my good car. So I, I brought my Pantera. I had a Pantera, which is now in the UK. I sold it to somebody. He sold it to somebody. Some rich guy bought it. It's in the UK. He's redoing the whole car, and he's going to enter it in car shows. I found out I owned it. I had it for 40 years. And he, he said he's going to put it in the car shows. We're going to call it the Carmine Peace Pantera. I'm going to give him a, like a list in, on my letterhead of everyone that rode it. Because everybody rode it. Ozzy, Rod, Jeff Beck, Prince, all kinds of people. Anyway, so, so I pulled up to the house, and I see these giant gates, and I said, whoa. I didn't know Rod was this successful. I pull in, and I knew Jim Cregan, and I knew Phil Chen from the Blow by Blow sessions. And I, I knew Jim Cregan from the, the show I did in England while I was doing those sessions. So we had a play. It's great. And I'm looking around at Rod's collection of cars, Ferrari, uh, I'm sorry, Lamborghinis and Porsches and, you know, all these expensive cars, Rolls Royces. And I'm saying, I think I want to play with this band. And then Rod came back from England. We, we played together and he said, you got it if you want. It. I said, yeah, I'm in. I said, let's go. He said, I know you have a, you have fans out there. So you'll have a drum solo every night and I could use your solo to go get ready pamper myself up again and uh, I know when you when I come back the audience will be riled up and that's what we did and, and we had a lot of fun I mean yeah I remember one day on, on stage I'm playing I'm doing like hot legs and, and everybody used to ask me did you write hot legs the drums are so dominant on that and I said no I didn't write that but I wish I did but Rob would come up and go like this to me and point to his teeth so after the show I said dude what is that he says, that's the dentist. He said, too many fill-ins. <laughs> so whenever you come up to me, you go like this on the stage, I'd have to calm down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Just rattling. But that's that's the kind of humor we had in the band, you know. It was really funny. I started calling him Howie. Howie. You know, he, Howie said, why do you call me Howie? I said, because you're like Howard Hughes. We go into a hotel. You got the suite on the top. You can't leave because everybody knows you. And you're stuck up there. I said, that's what Howard Hughes' life was. Mm. Yeah, I just read his book at the time. I said, he'd be in the suite at the top of the hotel. He'd own the hotel. And he'd have the curtains closed and can never go out. He gets everything brought in. You're like, Howard Hughes, sir. I was calling him Howie as a nickname. It's funny stuff. Your role in the band was was much more than a drummer. And by the, the second album that you, you, you made with Rod, you'd actually was involved much more in the creative process even in terms of bringing songs or, or song yeah i mean pretty much we were all involved on the first album like that yeah but different people wrote different songs like if, like hot legs i thought we you know i thought that it was going to be a band song because we all chipped in on that you know especially me and my drum fills but then but rod gave it to i think gary granger and, and himself i think 
But he was very fair as far as guys in his position. They would say, okay, we write the song, but I'm keeping your publisher. You can have your writing, and I'm keeping your publisher. But he didn't do that. You wrote a song with him, split 50-50. You get your publishing and your writing. So he was a very fair guy. And, and you know, he gave me advice about my clinics. And, and he's the one that probably, probably why I got fired from Ozzy, because I took his advice. <laughs> and uh, it, it's, it's really, I learned a lot from Rod, you know, songwriting and everything. We, I did write with Dwayne Hitchings, his biggest song he ever had, which by coincidence. Oh. Do You Think I'm Sexy was the biggest song he ever had. Sales-wise, anyway. Yeah, I still pinch myself that I wrote that song. The beat or the melody of that came to you? I wrote, I wrote the music, and then I went to Dwayne Hitchings' house. My buddy had the studio, and we put it together with a drum machine, and, and it sounded like a really good demo. And then Dwayne put a little bit in, in as well, which we gave him credit for later on. And we presented it to Rod. And Rod loved it. And he said, okay, you got it. He, you know, he gave it to everybody. He said to the band, I want a song like Missing miss you. by the Stones. And when we actually recorded it, it was right in that realm. We did it with three guitars, Phil Chen on bass. Dwayne Hitchings played the keyboard. And so Dwayne played keyboard. You know, there was no horns and no, no strings and no percussion. It was just the band. And it sounded big and monstrous, three guitars. My drum sound that Andy got with three guitars was killer. And then Tom Dowd, Got another 24 track, and all of a sudden we had an orchestra on it. Linda Lewis, Jim, Jim Cregan's ex-wife, singing, singing like uh, two octaves up the the riff. Da, 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 da. And then you had Tom Scott, was my symbol. Tom Scott uh, did the solo, and then he brought uh, David Foster in to play electric piano, and and all of a sudden it shrunk, and we were all like, "Oh man, I don't know, you sure about that, Tom?" He said. Trust me, kind of thing, you know. Hey, you know, I came out, went to number one in every country. He was right.
Also, Young Turks, it, it showed that you could bring different styles yeah. of material and that could just be equally... Well, yeah, that's because, see, my, my writing partner was Dwayne. Dwayne had the studio and he was the kind of guy to do... He did other songs with Rod after I left, like Infatuation yeah. and, and a few other ones, you know. But since I brought Dwayne into the into the crew, so Rod was okay now with, like, uh, when he said, I want, a, I want like a new wave sounding song. You know, like a punky sounding song. So we came in and we used the drum machine. The Dwayne was all tied into all the new technology at the time. So that was a drum machine that was on that. And I put hi-hat and real cymbals. Because the hi-hat and the real cymbals on the drum machine sounded terrible. So we did that. We put the whole track together. And we brought it in. And Dwayne brought his machine in and put it right to the 24 track. And then Rod liked it so much, we redid the arrangement on the song called Tonight I'm Yours, the title track, to sound like Young Turks. So that was done with Dwayne, me and Dwayne putting that together in Dwayne's studio, and then everybody adding their parts to the track, including the drum and the cymbals. And, and I was like a co-producer on that album. And then, yeah, all the partying got out of hand, and I, I wasn't really the partyist. I wasn't in with the click and the crew, and, you know, and that's when uh, things started getting weird, and also my credit was gone. The next thing I know, I'm I'm off the tour. I'm out of the band, and uh, that was kind of a bummer because I really really loved working with Rod. I would have kept working with him.
but obviously you just move on and and it leads to other other paths anyway and i think was it did you move on to aussie no i moved on to ted nugent oh okay because when we we had done uh the january uh, i moved on it was about september in january of that year we did a show with ted nugent a tv show american music awards and Ted came up to me and said, look, when you're done playing this wimpy English music, <laughs> this wimpy English rock, and you want to play a man's rock, give me a call. I called him. He said, let's go. I went out and I did an album and a tour with him. And then uh, I could have done the next tour, but then we started doing other projects you know, it, at Pasha Studios where I was working at. And I changed after I did the Ted Nugent album. See, Pasha Records released the Quiet Riot huge album. Pasha Records released my solo album that was on Rod's label mm. when he fired me. So my he fired me. My album came out on his label everywhere in the world except in America. Came out on Pasha. So I, as a as a favor to Spencer Proffer, I brought Ted Nugent to Pasha to record the album. When in the end, I didn't like the drum sound. Yeah. So I got together with Wayne Barron, who's second engineer. I said. Let's change the drum sound in here. Spencer, what do you think? It's bad. So we changed the drum sound. I did my Andy Johns drum sound in there, and it sounded great. And then I did a record with Rick Derringer called DNA, and party tested. And then Spencer did the first Quiet Riot album in there with my drum sound. And then it went huge, five million copies. You know, it's amazing how many things my fingers touched that... Mm. And I was in the end, I wasn't involved in, but I, but I was in there somehow that was so successful. I used to tell Frankie Benelli, you're the first guy to use my drum sound in Pasha that sold five million albums. <laughs> and he used to kiss me in the cheek for it. <laughs> but you know, I wasn't, I wasn't bitter about it. It was just, I was glad that I was involved. So I did go with Ted Nugent. We did that album and then I did the DNA record. And at that time I was in. I was in France when I got a call from Ozzy and I was doing, oh, I know it was, I was doing Vanilla Fudge and DNA, so I didn't have time to go do Ted. So, and then I, I was in France when I got a call from Ozzy, from Sharon. My manager called me and said, Sharon's looking for you. I said, what did I do? Because <laughs> she already had a kind of a strange, negative attitude in the business, you know. And then I, I went and joined Ozzy and it ended up being a mess. Not from Ozzy. Well, I could say, well, you read the book. <laughs> it's, the first chapter was unbelievable. And it, when they mentioned the, in, in the paper that, that I did an interview, I mentioned the big drum effect. And then I went to do it that night and it didn't work. And that the interview was pasted all over the backstage and heads were cut off my shirts. You know, they even appeared in uh, Mickey Six's book and the Motley Crue book. And uh, it's just funny, you know. And when she fired me, she said, you, your name is too big. You need to. Start your own band. So I did. And then I did King Cobra. Again, King Cobra was like Cactus. It did well, but it wasn't humongous. A lot of people know it. A lot of people love it. Was it soon after that you had uh, Guitar Zeus then? Uh, no. No, I had Blue Murder first. Right. And Blue Murder was a great band with John Sykes. John Sykes, Tony Franklin. I went after that band. I loved, I loved Sykes and I loved Tony. Yeah, and Cozy was in the band at first. And you know, Cozy got the gig with uh, Jeff Beck after after he had the car accident. We were supposed to do the gig, yeah. So Cozy got the gig, and then when I couldn't do um, Rainbow, <laughs> they got Cozy, yeah. 
So I used to tell Cozy, you're like my professional replacement. <laughs> and I said, yeah, we busted the ball. Yeah, we used to bust each other's balls and drop musicians. All in fun, you know? So then Cozy was in Blue Murder with Ray Gillen. I said, oh, man, that Cozy gets all the freaking good gigs, you know? And then I heard he was out. And I said, you know, I got to find out who is running Blue Murder. I got to check him out. I got to go play with these guys. So couldn't find out. So my brother Vinny was playing in London four nights with Dio. I said, you know what? I'm going to go to London. There's got to be somebody there that knows how to get a hold of Blue Murder. It's a heavy metal show with Ronnie James Dio. So sure enough, I got there and, and Chris Welch, who used to write for the Melody Maker, yeah. gave me the number to call, who was John Sykes' stepdad, who was like one of the managers. So I called, I rented a car, and I made an appointment to go up to Blackpool from London. Right? I never heard of Blackpool before in my life. It's a long way. Yeah, so I, I drove up there. I only had one cassette. It was Permanent Vacation by Aerosmith. I listened to that the whole way, all the way up there and all the way back. When I got there, Tony Franklin met me at, at two in the morning. He busted open the bar. He was like an alky at the time. I never really drank, but I had a drink with him. The next day, we woke up, went to the music store, went to John's dad's stepdad's house. He had a studio. There was a set of Cozy's drums. You know, we smoked a little hash, and I played with those guys, and it was like a glove. It was perfect. And that was it. So I was now in Blue Murder. And we did the first album, which was amazing. Then Grunge came in and killed that. And it never did what it's supposed to do with the first album, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I played with Edgar Winter, and then I spent I spent the mid-90s, uh, all of the 90s in Japan, and that's when I got the, the deal for the Tarzis right. in Japan. And the way it came out, it's another coincidence. My, my career has been a lot of coincidences, you know, like <laughs> getting the drum sound over there, and then they sell five million records. Meeting Sandy Gennaro on the street, getting the number, and now I'm in Rod Stewart's band, you know? A lot of coincidences. So this was another coincidence. I was playing with Bob Daisley, Jolyn Turner, and Jeff Watson. We had a group called Mother's Army. And grunge was king. We were dinosaurs. Nobody wanted to know from us. So Jeff had a tour of Japan booked, and he wanted us to play on his new solo album. So we did. And while we're there, I find out he has a solo album. My solo album was 10 years before. I was trying to get another deal. And he just came out of Night Ranger. And he gets a deal like that. And he's a guitar player. I said, man, what do I got to be? A freaking guitar player to get another record deal? It's ridiculous. So I've been trying for 10 years. I said, well, maybe I'll do a guitar album. I'll call it Guitar Gods. Ah. And then we were screwing with the name Zeus instead of Mother's Army. I said, no, I'll call it Guitar Zeus. That's what I'll call it. You know, and I'll do a guitar album. I'll get all my friends. Jeff, you want to play on it? He says, yeah, I'll play on it. You know, we got all these. I said, I'll get all these people on it. It'd be great. I could do I could do guitar album, uh, you know, guitar magazines. I could do drum magazines. So we left there. Everybody laughed. We went about our business. That night I went to bed. I think I said, you know, that's a freaking good idea. And that might be my next solo album. How to do it. So I planted that in my head. This, that was the plan. And it took me two years to find a manager that can get me a record deal. And as I was going to Japan, like in 93, 94, but 91, 92, 93, I was playing with Edgar Winter. And I was doing making decent money with that. I had a wife and two kids. My kids were young. I had to be out there playing. I couldn't be sitting around. I was selling off pieces pieces of songs. You know, it, it's crazy. But then this guy Warren Wyatt got me a deal in Japan. While that two years was going by, when I found him, I ran into Brian May at a clinic in uh, Rochester, the House of Guitars. That's when when uh, Freddie had died, and he was doing clinics. 
and I also ran into Ted Nugent somewhere. So I asked them, would you play in this album if I did it? They said, yeah. I ran into the King's X guys. I asked them. They said, yeah. So as soon as I got the deal, I got Brian, Ted, and the King's X guys thinking that if I got those guys in, it would draw other people in because they were influenced so many people. And that's what happened. That Brian May track, awesome. special. Is it no, nobody knew? I mean, nobody that is knew. that's just amazing. And you know, now lately, last year, we did a video with Brian. It's on YouTube. Check it out. It's pretty cool. And we did, uh, and then I did more music with uh, Bumblefoot. And now we got a, we have a thirty a twenty fifth anniversary box set coming out, and it's got. One of the guys from the Katazu's Korea, I did, I think Katazu's Korea, Katazu's Japan, you know, it's, it's unbelievable the amount of, the amount of, of the series developed into, you know. So we're releasing the box set now and we did three new tracks. I put uh, Tommy Thera from Kiss on a new track and these tracks were recorded back in the day where we never finished it. Right. So they have the same sound. And then we got, uh, Daryl Chirinian playing keyboard like a synth. Like a Jan Hama kind of thing, like a guitar, taking solos on it, on another track. And I got a new, new guy named, uh, Chris Brigiani, who's in a group called Kodiak that I managed. He's sounds a young Eddie Van Halen. We got 37 tracks. We got a, a Carmine medallion with a guitar Zeus pick on it and, and new interviews in the booklet and a t-shirt and four, four LPs, three CDs. It's unbelievable. I said, I can't believe this is still going. It's, you know, 25 years later. It all started from, I think I want to do a guitar album. <laughs> Crazy. Here we are in the year 2000, looking through glass with oxygen masks. Here we are, the faceless around us, expressions unnoticed. You thought it would last. Nobody knew. Black 
touched on many of the things that are going on now but it's, it's hard to keep track of the projects the live shows and and, and obviously the back catalogue and the books yeah. there's so much going on in, in your career and uh, you must be busier than ever I am very busy actually during COVID I was busy the whole time since I got the studio I mean right now I'm backlogged I got to do I got two King Cobra tracks to do I'm producing this girl I just did one track, one more track, drum track for her stuff, and organize, you know, the arrangement of the track. Her name is Lisa G. I got another track in the works of that. I just did a Christian track for my friend. I just produced and, and wrote three Christian tracks. And I did all here. Now we're going out on tour. I did my first gig three weeks ago with my brother in a year and a half. And that was weird. First night I did a solo, man, did I suck. I was so bad. <laughs> I said, no, I, I can't do that again. The next night, it was better. By the third night, I was back on fire. Mm. You know, my brother came up. He usually introduced, come on, he's my brother on drums. And he said that night, I said, you believe this guy is going to be 75 years old and he's still playing like that? <laughs> and the place cheered. And it made me feel good, you know, especially you know, coming from Vinny. He's like my, I was his biggest mentor all his life, you know. I love playing together with him. We have such a good time. Next year, we're going to do more gigs together. You've got your website so everyone can keep track of you. Yeah. Carmineapiece.net as well. So yeah. it's great to see you. And uh, it's it's great to, to hear Energy Overload, yeah. the APP I'm glad you like it. Album. Yeah, it's great. And there's a... Obviously, there's, it's mainly original tracks, but there's a, there's a few covers. You've got your, yep. your new version of uh, Do You Think I'm Sexy? I think there's a, there's a yep. Maybe I'm Amazed, Paul McCartney track on there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally different. You know, as, as in Vanilla Fudge, we did them different. You know, I, I hate doing duo, you know, covers, as they say, and do it the same. You know, sexy is really wild because it's kind of like a rock, jazz, Latin, reggae <laughs> instrumental. <laughs> But you know what's great about it? He makes the guitar talk. Yeah. It really talks to you. He's a great player. I love the guy. And he, and he looks like a, like a wild man. <laughs> you see what he looks like? He's a big, huge guy with a big beard. And, and he wears the head. He looks like a, looks like a rabbi, actually. <laughs> well, what a pleasure it's been to talk to you. I mean, if people haven't, oh, cheers, haven't got your book as well, if they, if they want to know what happened in the 60s and 70s, yeah. I mean, they can get it. They can go to my website and get it. It takes longer to send it to England. And it's more expensive, but you know, I, I autograph them. You know, when they come to the website. All right. Take care. Yeah. Cheers, mate. All right. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye. Ciao. Take care, bro.
Thank you for listening to the Strange Brew Podcast. If you do like the show, please consider a small donation to help keep the show archive online. It's 10 years since I started the podcast and hosting fees are increasing over time. All your support keeps the show running and helps me get amazing guests. To support me, just go to thestrangebrew.co.uk where you'll see a donate button on the homepage. Thank you very much. Plus, any reviews on your podcast services help to spread the word too. Thank you. Thank you.